Those of you that were uh, following along on the daily devotional this past week on the app, we've updated all the listings, all the readings for this week, so check that out. Um, also, uh, this past Friday, we published today's bulletin on the app. From now on, every Friday afternoon, we'll publish the bulletin on the app for the next Sunday so you can begin to prepare your heart. You can check out, see what songs are going to sing, what the sermon text is, and those kinds of things. And we're able to put a lot of things on the bulletin, uh, on the app that we can't do in the printed bulletin just for space issues, Uh, more events and opportunities, more things to sign up for. And, And you can, if you have the app, you can follow along with the sermon you can type in sermon notes. I decided to take a little screenshot of my own phone and some notes in the bottom to myself. Look at this. I'm taking notes on the app. Next, I'll hit the save button. And then I'll text these notes to my son and I'll email them to myself because I want to put them in a Word doc. Bam, you can do that. All right. Now, the other thing, and and on a, a real serious note, we know that our God is a God who loves adoption. In fact, he has adopted us as his sons and daughters and given us the full inheritance in his kingdom, God's riches at Christ's expense. And he commands us in his word to care for orphans and for all children, for that matter. And I'm really just thrilled about what we're doing today. This is the second week and the last week that we're going to be doing this. A couple of our members, Zach and Tabby Parrott, are in the final stages of adopting a baby. And as many of you know, Adoption is very, very expensive. So we want to help them out to be able to to raise this money so they can adopt this child and provide a a new hope and a future. So after the service is over, if you exit through either of the doors in the very back, the entire back hallway, we've got a display up and it looks something like this. And there's a bunch of envelopes on the wall that have numbers outside of them, like 7 and 47 and 87, a bunch of numbers. So what you do is you go back there and you pick out any of those envelopes you want, you take it home, and then next Sunday you bring it back, and whatever the dollar amount says on the outside, that's the amount of money that you bring back, and that'll go straight to Zach and Tabby to help them finish out their adoption. All right? All right, let's do that. And remember, this is the last week we're doing that, so um, if, if you feel led to do that, make sure you take an envelope home today. And now let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
Good morning. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. This is the third week in our Five Identities series. Uh, We're learning what it means to be a Christian. And in the first two weeks, we discovered that to be a Christian is to be a worshiper and to be a disciple. And now we've uh, come to the identity that gets at the heart of the mission that Jesus gave the church, what it means to be a witness. We just read the first eight verses in Acts because I wanted you to have the full uh, background, but our main focus today is verse 8. And for now, let's uh, just zone in on this italicized part. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. When we uh, began this series, we handed you a personal renewal plan, a simple diagnostic tool to see how well you're living into each of the five identities. And then online, we, we put up a poll and we asked you to anonymously tell us uh, what, you, what you scored, how well you're doing. And guess which of the five identities most, by far most sojourners are living into the very, very least? Witnesses. Yes, in, in fact, we have something outside in the lobby called a How We Grow wall. I'm sure you've seen it many times before when you've gotten coffee. And on this wall, uh, we have five different sections one section for each identity. And so you can go to that portion of the wall and you can pick up all kinds of resources, most of them free, but, but some books for sale and, and CDs that will help you live into that identity. And the, the witnesses portion of that wall is by far the least frequented section. It's, it's the only one where all of the, the free things that we've printed, we've never had to do a reprinting. Um, you know, Pastor Jonah will say, how are those field guides going? Well, people are taking the one about how to read the Bible and the one about how to pray and how to hear the voice of God. No one's taking the one about how to, how to testify to their friends about Jesus. We've got a couple of books for sale on that section of the wall. No one has ever bought those books. So, so it's like, uh, not only is this the hardest identity for us, but maybe for many of us, uh, we've just given up or we're just not interested which is kind of funny because you would think it wouldn't be that way. Psychologists tell us that all humans thirst for significance and purpose, to know that our lives matter, that what we do is important, that we're a part of something grand. And being a witness for Jesus is the grandest adventure of all because this is the way that God has chosen to grow his kingdom. Being a witness fulfills this need for significance and purpose as it transforms us into who we were meant to be, agents of God, stewarding his creation and carrying out his will on earth as it is in heaven. But very quickly, when we become a Christian, we discover several things about being a witness. First off, we discover that It can cost you friends and social standing. You can literally lose a friend because you follow Jesus. Maybe you can be ostracized at work or within your family. We also find that it can be embarrassing. Maybe someone asks you a question that you don't have the answer to. Maybe you run into someone who hates Christianity and has memorized all kinds of arguments against it and makes you feel foolish. Or maybe someone uh, brings up something that looks like a discrepancy between two different parts of the Bible, and you don't know how to answer that. Also, it can seem fruitless. Maybe there's someone in your life that you have witnessed to many times over the years, even decades, and they've never come to the faith. They won't even come with you to a Christmas Eve service. 
And finally, there's the question that maybe non-Christians ask of us more than any other. Maybe we even ask this of ourselves, and it's this. Who are we to say which religious founder is right? Who do we think we are? And the answer to this one is actually the easiest. So we're going to start here. We're going to work ourselves up to the harder things. But I warn you, at some point over the next 10 minutes or so, you may think, you know, everything he's saying sounds great for some other Christian in some other time in some other place. But it actually makes me feel more hopeless because I didn't experience what they experienced. And if that's you, if you have that thought, we will get to you. So just bear with me. But for now, the answer to this question, who are we to say which religious founder is right, is very simple, very easy. We're nobody. We can't even agree on who makes the best pizza. But what if God made it real simple? What if he said, I know you humans. I love you humans. I made you humans. I know you're going to have trouble figuring this out on your own, so I'm going to make it real easy. I'm going to make it real obvious. I'm going to make it real dramatic. The right one, the one you follow, is the one who rises from the dead. The others will all die and their bones will rot, but the right one will rise from the dead three days later with a new body that can never die again. That's my guy. That's who you follow. And it's in the resurrection of Jesus that we begin to learn what a witness is and how we can overcome our fear and our anxiety and our awkwardness so we can live in to this identity and we can do this work of witnessing. Look at our key verse again. Acts 1 verse 8. And you will be my witnesses. A witness is someone who experiences something and then tells others about it. Christianity spread from a group of poor people in a conquered nation to become this force that spread throughout the entire world. Not because they learned a bunch of facts or debating techniques but because they experienced something so life-changing that they could not keep quiet. Even when faced with the loss of their jobs, loss of their friends, being disowned and disinherited from their families, being beaten, thrown in prison, tortured, and many of them even killed. The amazing thing about the 27 writings we call the New Testament is first, They are part of one coherent book, the literal, inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. And number two, they are historical documents full of eyewitness testimony to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. John, who wrote more of the New Testament than any of the other original 12 disciples, says this in a letter, 1 John chapter 1 Verse 1, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. Now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. And then he wrote this at the end of his biography of Jesus, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 24. This disciple, in other words, this guy, me, John, is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. He's saying, y'all know me. You've known me for decades. You know 
that I've never wavered in my testimony that Jesus conquered the grave and he's a risen Lord, even though I have gained nothing from this, no material benefit my entire life. In fact, I saw my own brother, James, murdered for this testimony. My best friend, Peter, all of my friends that I used to run around with, they've all been murdered for this testimony that Jesus is Lord. You've seen me in prison. I've been beaten and I've never wavered from what I know is true, from what I saw, from what I heard, from what I touched with my own hands. One more, a man named Luke, a doctor, a historian, a missionary with the Apostle Paul. He says this in his gospel, the gospel of Luke, chapter one, verse one. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have decided to write an accurate account for you. There's nothing like the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament in all of history, certainly not compared to other religious writings. They're so detailed, so specific, they dare the reader. Fact check us. Go to these places. Talk to these people. Investigate. So we have common people just like you and me, who were often scared, timid, selfish, anxious during Jesus' life and death. And then all of a sudden, after the resurrection, they begin telling everyone about Jesus in spite of threats, beatings, and imprisonment. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And so if only we were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, then we could be bold like them, right? If only you had actually seen Jesus after he died, then you wouldn't have any trouble telling your neighbor about Jesus or inviting your coworker to community group or sojourn gathered, right? Well, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper. When Jesus rose from the grave, he first appeared to a group of women that included his mother Mary and a lady named Mary Magdalene. And he said this in John Chapter 20, verse 17. Go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. What? Now, throughout their time with Jesus, he had told the disciples many times, I'm going to be killed, but on the third day, I'm going to rise. And now here's their fellow disciple coming to tell them, I've seen him. It's the third day and I've seen him. And, and they're not running out to tell the world that Jesus is the risen Lord. They're not even going out looking for him. They're not forming a search party saying, hey, let's all go to his favorite places. You go here. I'll go here. You go here. We'll find him. They're in hiding. They're still afraid. Now, maybe this is because, unfortunately, men don't always listen to women. You ladies know this, right? Jesus has already messed up his resurrection victory tour because he appeared first to women, and no one's going to listen to them. Maybe Peter even tried to do some mansplaining to Mary. He kind of put his arm around her, and he said, no, look, doll. When a body dies, it stays dead. 
maybe when Jesus appears to the guys, then, then they'll start running everywhere, telling people how to get saved. Let's find out what happens when Jesus appears to them. Matthew 28, verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Now, Pastor Jonah read this a few months ago, and he said another way to translate this would be, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but they had their doubts. And so we read in today's main text, Acts 1, verse 3, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. John gives us a window into one of those times in his gospel, and this is a strange one, not just because a dead man is walking, but because of of their response. Now, keep in mind, at, at this point, they've already seen him. They've already seen someone who died and was buried out of his grave, walking around. And what what are they doing after that? John 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, so that would be John and James, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, well, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. What would you do? What, what do you do when something is going on in your life that is just too much for you to handle? It's, it's too much for your heart. You don't have answers. Maybe you just go fishing or hunting or uh, backpacking or shopping or video gaming. Maybe you just start putting in more time at the office to avoid what's going on at home. These disciples were eyewitnesses to the greatest, most dramatic event in all of history. But they aren't running out to tell the world. They're trying to find Nemo. Jesus isn't surprised. He doesn't show up on the shore screaming, you idiots, what are you fishing for? I, I rose from the grave. Go tell everyone. No, he simply makes breakfast for them. He's patient and loving because he knows that even his own resurrection will not be enough to transform these people, these fearful, anxious, timid people into this force that will conquer the world. Let's look at our main text again. Now, Jesus has spent 40 days proving his resurrection. He's got a big job for them. But first, he says, Acts 1-4, do not leave Jerusalem until... The Father sends you the gift he promised. And he explains a few verses later, verse 8, that this gift is the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. The Holy Spirit does many things for believers. He teaches, he guides, he comforts, he heals. He prays to God the Father for us in accordance with the Father's perfect will. And he guarantees our spot in heaven. But here, Jesus highlights that the Spirit gives us power, boldness, strength to carry out our identity and our mission as witnesses. But how do we know this is for us today and not just for those eyewitnesses? Well, Peter the fisherman 
When he was filled with the Spirit, he stood up in front of thousands of people, including many of those who were responsible for killing Jesus just two months before, less than two months before. And for the first time, Peter boldly proclaimed the gospel, that God is holy, that we are sinners, and that Jesus died for us and because of us. And then, Acts chapter 2, verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the part that sometimes makes the the hair on my arms stand on end. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Now, some of your Bibles may have an asterisk over this part that says, I know those far away. And if you follow that asterisk down to the footnote, it says, this could also be translated, and to those far in the future. If this is true, then it doesn't matter that we weren't there on the first Easter Sunday because we still have an eyewitness among us. We have the first one the best one, the only one who was actually in the tomb when Christ arose, and even the power behind his resurrection. Look at this in Romans 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. John, that great eyewitness to the resurrection is long dead. His body is turned to dust. Peter, dead. Mary, dead. Luke, Paul, Mary Magdalene, dead, dead, dead. There is only one remaining eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus, and he lives inside of you. In baptism, you identify publicly in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit comes inside as if to say, I will never let you forget it. And just as I was the first eyewitness and the power behind the resurrection of Jesus, I will be the first eyewitness and the power behind your resurrection. When we learn to say yes to the Spirit daily, He empowers our witness that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God. We are like advance heralds telling people the king is coming. His resurrected body was his advance on his promise to make all things new. This is what your kids are learning today in their kids' classrooms. This promise to make all things new. A new heaven, a new earth full of joy, love, justice, peace. No more oppression, no more depression, no more death or decay. One scholar, a man named N.T. Wright, says it like this. The resurrection is neither an isolated miracle nor simply the promise of eternal life beyond the grave. It is rather the decisive start of the worldwide rule of the Jewish Messiah in which sins are already forgiven and the promise of the eventual new world of justice and incorruptible life are assured. 
Have you ever sat around with Christians and said something like, well, I was talking to my cousin the other day, and she's the, she's the one that, that hates Jesus. She hates Christianity. Uh, I've talked to her about uh, Jesus before, about my faith, and she makes fun of me. And she was, she was talking about some things that are going on in her life, and it's just been one, one bad thing after another, and she's really broken. And as, I, as she was talking, I, I just, even though I didn't want to, I kept getting this sense that I was supposed to say something to her. Well, no kidding you kept getting that sense. You have an eyewitness living inside of you, crying out day and night, he's alive. I was there. Your cousin doesn't have to be hopeless anymore. She doesn't have to be alone, separated forever from the good life with God. Say something, buddy, I've got your back. You may feel like you're the least powerful person in this room. You may be the least powerful person in this room. But the most powerful person in this room lives inside of you. You have nothing to fear. This voice inside of you says, you have your doubts? That's okay, but I don't. I was there. I empowered it. Then I came inside a bunch of anxious, fearful, timid fishermen, and I empowered them to tell everyone about it. And now I'm inside of you, so trust me. And what, what defines success? Well, just that you witnessed, not that anyone converted. You can't save anyone. You can't convince anyone. That's God's business. He knows what he's going to do. What you're doing is significant, whether or not you think it's successful, because God says it's significant, because God invests it with significance, because he is blessed when his children obey him. But I will say this, because this has happened to me just a few times in my life. When this happens to you, when, when you witness to someone, whether it's the first time or whether it's been going on for decades, when you witness to someone and then you see them come to Christ, when you hear them give their testimony of what God has done for them, or when you see them baptized, there's not a feeling like it in this world. And I want that for each of you. And I pray that for each of you. The presence of this supernatural, all-powerful eyewitness inside of you means that you can do this no matter how shy you are or how uneducated you are. So listen, I usually have a, a little rhyme for you or some kind of wordplay to help you remember what I've taught, like he knows me and he chose me or don't trade the best thing for the easy thing. Today, I don't have a rhyme, but I do have some wordplay, and it's going to be corny. <laughs> but this is what you get for letting a songwriter preach. So it's kind of your fault. All right, watch this. Eyewitness because of the eyewitness within me. See what I did there? Eyewitness because of the eyewitness within me. All right, so what do we do around here? When we see words on the screen, then they're underlined. We read them aloud together. So we're going to do this. Now listen, let's not, let's not do the typical thing where, where I say, okay, let's read this aloud. And the first time, like half of you don't read it out loud. And the other half, you're kind of timid about it. And it's not good. And then I have to say, come on, let's do it again. And we have to do this two or three times. Let's just do it one time. We're going to do it right. Like you mean it. If you're a Christian, if you've been filled with the Spirit, I'm going to count down from three. And I'm going to say this out loud. Three, two, one. Eyewitness because of the eyewitness within me.
Yeah. Mm. The Spirit will prompt you to speak. And more than that, He'll even help you say what needs to be said. Now, if, if I was a motivational speaker, this is the point where I would say, so come on, you can do this. I know you've got it in you. But the truth is, although you're a lovely group of people, I don't know if you've all got it in you. I just know you've got him in you. And that's how you can do this. And that's why you can do this. Further, if you refuse to share the gospel because you think you don't know it well enough, you're passing up one of the best ways to help yourself know it. There's a a sociologist named Charles Durig, and he says this, when you find a new piece of information, force yourself to engage with it, to use it in an experiment or describe it to a friend. And then you will start building the mental folders that are at the core of learning. So if you want to remember what you learn when you come here or when you read the Bible each day, share it with someone. Look at yourself in the mirror, say, I witness because of the eyewitness within me, and then go find someone to share it with. You will learn it better yourself when you do that. But practically speaking, what are some good times to talk to people about Jesus or or invite them to this service or community group? Well, I have a couple of free helps for you today. And the first is something called Testify, how to share the gospel of Jesus. Now, this is one of those things that are, that's on the whole, how we grow wall that we've never had to reprint since we published it over a year ago. Uh, but every week it's, it's, it's on this section of wall that says, we are witnesses who build. It was written by uh, Pastor Jonah. Uh, Pastor Travis has a lot of good content in here as well. You could read the whole thing in like 15 minutes. Again, it's free and it will show you how to be a good listener That's important. We don't just memorize some gospel plan and just launch into it. You actually make friends with people and you be a good listener. It'll it'll help you learn how to ask good questions to show that you're really interested in someone, that you're trying to find out things about them. And then it will help you learn how to share your story of what God has done for you. Like I said, it's always at the How We Grow All, but today It's also at the welcome table. We've got stacks of them out there. Make us have to reprint this thing this week, okay? Pick it up before you leave. Now, the second thing, when you walked in and we handed you a bulletin, it included an insert that says, triple not. These are three statements, each with the word not in them. And as you are making friends with people, uh, you can train yourself to hear them say one of these three statements. And then when they do, Know that that is a good time to do whatever the Spirit prompts you to do, whether that's share your story, share the gospel, invite them to community group, invite them to Sojourn Gathered, invite them into some other, some other way to participate in the life of this community. Give them a Bible, whatever the Spirit prompts you to do. We'll walk through these real quick so you see what I'm talking about. The first triple not statement is things are not going well. Now think about this. Many of you, you came to Christ when things were not going well. When things were going well, you had no time for God. You had no patience with God. You were an enemy of God's church. But then something happened, some tragedy, or maybe it was just a long kind of slide into depression. Maybe it was one little thing after another, and finally you came to the end of yourself. And you said, I've got to do something. Maybe maybe I'll, I'll give this God thing a try. So when you've invested in someone's life, you became friends with them, and then you hear them saying, things are not going well. 
That's a time when the Spirit may be saying, she's ready. He's ready. Second one is, is pretty similar. I'm not prepared for this. Now, let's say you've been taking an exercise class at the Y, and there's this young lady that's been taking the class with you, and you've talked with her a few times after the class is over. One day, you notice she's pretty distraught, and so you say, hey, what's, what's going on? It seems like you're down about something. And she says, well, to be honest, I, I just found out that I'm pregnant, and I, I've always wanted kids, but not now. I'm not anywhere near ready. I don't think I'm mature enough. I don't have a good job. I don't think my boyfriend's going to want anything to do with this. He's not going to want anything to do with me. I'm very scared. And then maybe you can say, you know, uh, I've got a whole group of friends that meet at least once a week, and we kind of help each other out through the struggles of life. In fact, maybe there's even someone in, in the group that has been through something similar a few years ago, and I think it'd be good to talk with her. I'd love to have you join us. We're, we're part of a church, but you don't have to come to church on Sunday. You can just hang out with us if you want and, and uh, just kind of get to know us, and we can get to know you and, and maybe help you through this. Third statement. Now, this should be pretty self-explanatory. I'm not from here. When you meet someone that is new to the area, that's a perfect opportunity to say, hey, if you found a home church, I go to Sojourn. You should check it out. They might shut you down. And if that's the case, you just continue to become friends with them. And maybe sometime down the road, they utter one of those other two not statements. But it's pretty simple. So I always give you a, a Monday challenge, something that you can put into practice immediately, something that you can begin to do. Today's Monday challenge is simply to take home that triple knot sheet, put it on uh, your refrigerator or nightstand somewhere that you will see it until you memorize those three statements, internalize them, and think about them. Maybe some of you that are, are very adventurous, uh, you might even want to role-play the triple knot in group this week in your community group. Maybe someone utters the triple knot statement and somebody else uh, gives a response and you kind of help each other. Now, I know all the introverts in the room are saying, I am not role-playing in community group this week. <laughs> I get it. Just throwing that out there, something, something to try. Eyewitness, because of the eyewitness inside of me. The resurrection proved that Jesus was God's man and that everything that Jesus said was true. Which is really good news for us because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread like this one. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took a cup of wine like this one. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me until I come back again. After I pray, those of you in the front half of the room will come forward, tear off a piece of bread and dip it into either wine or juice as your conscience permits. The cups with wine will have strings of twine tied around them. And if you need gluten-free communion elements, you'll find them over here in my left, your right. Those of you in the back half of the room will have two stations in the back right in front of the sound booth. Now, if you're not a Christian, I ask that you don't come forward and partake of communion because it symbolizes something you haven't accepted yet. But I urge you to pray to receive the risen Lord as your Savior. And then we can prepare you to be baptized and partake of communion with us in the weeks to come. 
also, if you came here through some odd circumstance and you're thinking, this subject of witnessing is exactly what I don't like about Christians, always forcing their religion on me. I get that. But think about this. How much would we have to hate you? Or how selfish would we have to be to believe that we have heard the way that you can live forever and then just not share it with you? So if we pester you from time to time with talk of resurrection, know that it's because we want it for you too. Let's pray.